2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. As promised, we have a very special guest here today, Bill Bentenson, and Butch Cassidy was his great-grand-uncle. He's the author of Butch Cassidy, My Uncle, and hopefully he's going to shed some light on a lot of the questions that we have regarding Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, Etta, and the Wild Bunch. Bill, how are you doing today? Doing good. Well, good. I'm hoping you can introduce yourself and your background and what got you, uh, obviously your obviously your genealogy got you into this to begin with, but what really inspired you to go forward with research on this? You've been doing it a long time, as I understand.
0: Yeah, so I, I grew up hearing the stories, and I mean, uh, my great-grandma, which is sister, lived to be 96 years old. I was 15 when she passed away, so I grew up hearing stories from her and always interested in the old West and that. And, uh, when I graduated from college, I have a degree in mechanical engineering. I needed, uh, a diversion or something. To <laughs> so I started, uh, reading a lot and, uh, was like, Oh, this is a lot of fun. I can uh, read a book and don't have to derive an equation and stuff. So I just started reading and researching, got interested. And then, and uh you know, met friends and we went to visit the robbery sites and hideouts and you know just kind of went from there and then I decided, well, I really need to i've done all this research for you know like twenty years, I need to put it down in a book at least for my kids and family to have and so then I started doing the book and and you know that's the challenge there was there's so much myth and stories, folklore associated with Butch Cassidy that, you know, you wanted to try and cut through all that and go back to original sources and and try and tell the most accurate story of his life. And so that's kind of what, what I did, and that's hopefully the result of the book.
2: Have Have you been able to, or have you changed any of your theories or opinions since the book? Are you pretty much sticking with what you've got there?
0: Well... Yeah, I'm pretty much sticking with what I have, and we've done. You know, as we uh, as I find new information and in that, I've done edits to the book, so the book is in its third edition, and and that that's the fun part of it is you're we're still finding pieces to the puzzle. You know, as as they digitize old newspapers, you know, di- different records are com- become available. You know, you find new information, and so you update that information, so and correct some of the things that were wrong, but. Uh, the basic theories I, I still, still stand by.
2: How about starting off by giving us a description of Butch Cassidy? Um, I did explain it in part one, but I'd like it from your point of view, just to describe what kind of guy he was, how he was able to keep a lot of really hard cases uh, loyal to him, and how he became probably the most successful train robber in terms of never really getting caught. What was he
0: like? Well, well, I think uh, part of what set him apart from others was he, he grew up in a loving family. He wasn't from a broken home. He didn't have, you know, tendencies, tendencies to be a psycho or whatever. He was, he liked people and uh, he was charismatic in his personality. So he easily made friends, and that, seemed to instill loyalty from people because they liked him and they saw that he was, I think inherently a good person. He was raised to be a good Christian and obviously he chose a different path, but I think the basis of his upbringing really led to his success and, and set him, setting him apart from other outlaws. Now I think he was uh, a bright individual and he, went to great lengths to plan robberies and to, I mean, that's the one thing that as I researched his life, I really realized that, you know, he spent months and months planning these robberies and, and then the escapes, you know, took enormous amount of planning and people, there was people that had to man relays and, you know, he had to get insider information of when the loots were going to, be available on the, the trains and whatnot. You know, I don't know that I fully appreciated that just, you know, growing up hearing those stories. So I I really gained the respect for, you know, the, the planning and uh, the, the great lengths that he went to, to to see that he had success. And I think that led to his continued success over time. Now, another pattern in his life was that when he, after a robbery, the way he blended in was he would go and get a job on a ranch and work for a ranch. And he, I mean, he'd grown up on a ranch. He knew how to work hard, and uh, people, you know, was he wasn't afraid of hard work, and people liked him and they uh, trusted him, and and he was able to to blend in. I think that really helped lead to his success. Now, I think he also, because of his personality, he was able to. Uh, you know, some people are just people people or people persons or whatever that can uh, relate to people. And I think he was able to relate to different people, you know, like Kid Curry was known as a killer, but I don't know. And kind of studying a little bit of him, I don't know that he certainly started out that way, you know, different things happened in his life and members of his family were killed and he, you know, became psychotic in some ways, but, uh, you know, he wasn't that way initially. And I think which could relate to people and and through that was able to instill trust and in, in different people. And, you know, they trusted him, they liked him. And that included the people in his gang and and people on the outside that would protect him.
2: From what I've read, it looks like he didn't kill any lawmen in the, in this whole process. Is that correct? Or no,
0: I, I think that's correct. That was, yeah. As far as we know, he, he didn't kill anybody. Now, depending on what you believe happened to him, there was, Right. If you believe he was killed in San Vicente, there was some some policemen killed in that, but uh, I personally don't believe he, that he was involved in that. I think that was somebody else, but that's you know that's another story.
2: Now we did we did talk about an account in part one where a husband was it a husband wife team? It was a research team, uh, man and woman who went to San Vicente and dug up the remains of two what they felt were Americans, and, that's sent, that's the, and sent the Dan- DNA back for testing, but they said that the DNA testing indicated just one person, and that was a German miner who had been buried in that, that, at that same site. Did I get that right. correct? Yeah, that was,
0: Dan, yeah that's, that was Dan Buck and Ann Meadows, and uh, another individual that was involved in that program, it was a NOVA production on PBS in the, the early 90s, Was Larry Pointer, and and talking to Larry Pointer, he said that that they were nearly 100% confident they had the right individuals because the story was that Butch, you know, they were down to their last few rounds of ammo. Butch uh, shot Sundance in the forehead because he was wounded, and then put the gun to his temple and killed himself. And the skeletal remains of those that they dug up had injuries that matched that story and so and they they, and they found lead tracing in the holes in the skulls and so they were you know 99 percent sure they had the right individuals now when they did the actual testing it was negative it was neither butch or sundance and then the story came out well one was a german miner that uh, was flying uh, out dynamite and uh, blew himself up. And it's like, well, how do you get wounds in your skull that have lead tracing if you blew up dynamite? But I, I kind of think that they found the two individuals that robbed the payroll, but it just wasn't Butch and Sundance, and so the story get, got spun differently. Uh,
2: yeah, it's kind of what it looks like. It just raises a question, though, if they, if they you know, dug up two skeletons. They said they were lying end to end. How in the world did we come up with one German miner out of, out of two people? Right. That, and somewhere right. that story got twisted or convoluted where we're not getting the whole thing. But I have a hunch if, if the DNA of, of Cassidy or Longabaugh did come up, or Parker or Longabaugh did come up, I think we would know it. So it, it right. kind of just left that open forever. Right. Did they take your uh, DNA sample for that
0: study? Uh, no, it was a cousin of mine that actually supplied the DNA for that.
2: When you visited um, some of the outlaw locations, which ones have you personally seen and been in?
0: Well, uh, you know, every, everything in the West, you know, Hole in the Wall, Browns Park, Robber's Roost, you know, and then the different robbery sites I've been to. And I did, in uh, 2007, went to Argentina to see his ranch. Oh, my gosh. And... uh that's, boot.
2: that's a fascinating story what ended up with the ownership on that branch uh did he did he sell it while he was still alive
0: well they were never able to obtain ownership of the land when they were there it's and it's even really difficult now in argentina to you know it takes many years to obtain ownership to the land so they never actually had ownership of the land and today the uh there's a nearby town called Cholila, and they own the, the land that the cabin's on. And they restored the cabin and kind of opened it up as a tourist site. So,
2: so neither their names nor Edda's name was ever on any kind of paperwork with regard to that, uh, that, that land or that property? Because I thought she was granted well, 2,500 acres of that.
0: Well, they were certainly uh, signing papers to obtain ownership of that land. That they were in the process of that. In fact, uh, there's documents that they signed on the day of uh, a robbery that occurred in Rio Gallegos that they were um, suspected of participating in, <laughs> and, you know, it gave proof that they were at the ranch when that, that occurred. But yeah, they were they had signed papers to obtain that ownership, but never, in fact, obtained that land.
2: Hi, everyone. just use promo code 1001stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. So what do you believe happened? What do you believe caused them to leave Argentina? And uh, what? also, what do you believe happened with ETA?
0: Okay, so they, um, they went down there uh, after the turn of the century, 1901. They, they uh, established that ranch in the Patagonia area. It's quite a remote area even today. It's at the base of the Andes and uh, lived there in relative uh, peace for about three years. And I don't know if they got bored or what, but there were two uh, local guys that became their friends, and my thoughts are that they taught those two how to rob a bank, and they went to Rio Gallegos, which was about 700 miles away from the ranch in southern Argentina, and robbed a bank, and it had the uh, ear markings or trademarks of their robberies with, uh, you know, fresh relays of horses for their escape and that. While they were down there, the Pinkertons continued to track them and were reading the mail here in the United States as they wrote letters home. And so they were able to figure out where they were at. They sent an agent to Buenos Aires, figured out where they were at. They came back, contacted the banks and railroads and wanted them to fund them to go down and capture them. The banks and railroads didn't want anything to do with it because they were out of their hair. They, you know, we're, we're not losing any more money. They're gone. You know, this, let them be. And, uh, so the Pinkertons generated a bunch of uh, wanted posters in Spanish notified the local police and said, if there's ever a robbery, these two notorious outlaws will are likely responsible. And so when Rio Gallegos happened, then they uh, suspected they were involved and So they went to uh, question them. And because they were so well-established in the community, some of their good friends were uh, the Hammonds. Um, and her, the Mrs. Hammonds' brother was the chief of police in the area. And, and they got tipped off that they were going to come and, and question them. And so they decided to leave the area. They escaped into Chile and then worked their way north. And they were in uh, southern Bolivia, the Pisa area. So November 1906 is when uh, a payroll robbery occurred. And uh, two gringos were uh, cornered in San Vicente and, and killed through a gun battle. And those two individuals were buried in the San Vicente Cemetery. They were never identified. They were just buried as unknown gringos. And... They did have a good friend in the area that was an American mining engineer, and that was uh, Percy Siebert. And he did speak with a magazine author, and you know said that these two that were buried were likely Butch and Sundance, and that's really kind of how the story got out there that they'd been killed. Now, prior to that time, I think it was a 1904-1905 Sundance took at a place. Back to the U.S. to San Francisco, and she was rumored to uh, be ill. You know, there's rumors that maybe she was pregnant, and uh, really from there she kind of disappeared into history, and we really don't know what happened to her.
2: Yeah, that's that's Big one mystery. of the biggest mysteries in the West, along with what really did happen to uh, to Butch and Sundance, and I think you're going to fill us in on that in just in just a minute. I've always In the research that I've done, I've always felt that Cassidy was a smart, smart guy. And I think you're right when you kind of hinted at the fact that he and Sundance might have set up two guys, knowing that they were going to screw up one way or the other, or maybe even tipping off the federal troops as to where those guys were. Maybe they had arranged, uh, they had said, we'll meet you at this point after you've accomplished this, this, and this and they didn't meet him. Maybe that's how they ended up at that, at that boarding house in San, San Vicente. Uh, but I don't think it was those two. I think, I think you're right on that. I'm hoping you can kind of fill us in on some of the better theories as to where they ended up, where they ended up living, and, and did they get back to visit their friends and relatives.
0: I can tell you in terms of the, the Parker family what we believe and in, in terms of Butch Cassidy. So in the fall of 1925, he did visit his family in Circleville, Utah, and uh, and Lula was there, and he, he spent uh, about two weeks with the family, and then left and uh, stayed in touch through letters. And they were always very careful to destroy those letters. And they made their father was still alive at the time, and he made them make a family pact that they wouldn't talk about his visit, and they would just go along with the stories that he'd been killed in South America so that he could be left alone and live out remainder of his days. And she said that he died in the fall of 1937 in the Northwest. Now there was an individual that uh, appears to be um, a bit of a, his name was William T Phillips and he, he died in the fall of 37 in the Northwest up in the Spokane area. And he was actually in prison at the same time as Butch in Wyoming in Laramie, Wyoming, and so they knew each other, and he had some of the looks of Butch, and so he was he passed off himself as being butch and, and there are accounts where he went and visited individuals in uh, Wyoming and uh, fooled some people. but I, I have a hard time with that because I think Butch was still around visiting some of his friends, and I don't it's possible the two work together but I don't believe that this William T. Phillips could. I mean some people have even said that you know maybe he was the one that visited the Parker family and I don't believe that an individual like that could fool his own family his own father no uh-uh. or some of these good friends that knew him before he went to South America and there are a number of friends in Wyoming that swore he visited them in the 1930s Uh, One was Josie Bassett. He worked for the Bassett family in Browns Park. And she said that both Butch and Elsie Lay, his good friend Elsie Lay, visited her on two different occasions in Bags, Wyoming and, and Rock Springs. And, you know, I, so I, I think there's a number of reliable eyewitness accounts that confirm that he did make it back to the U S now in terms of Sundance, that's, a little less clear to me, and i, I don't purport to be a uh, Sundance expert. I mean, I haven't—I my tie is to Butch casting. and that's really where I've put my efforts. I do am f- friends with the Longabaugh family, and and the ones that are most vocal is Donna and Paul Ernst, who uh, are from Pennsylvania area, and they—they they believe that he was killed in South America. But, uh, and, the, and the main reason they believe that is because he was writing to his sister, Samana. And after the gun battle happened in November of 19, 1908, then those letters stopped. And so they think that he was killed. Now, I've also heard from others within the Longabot family, that's not necessarily true, that those letters continue on for a time. So, you know, I don't know. I Butch, when he visited his family, he said that the two of them got separated and he wasn't sure what had happened to Sundance. And, you know, there's a number of different theories. There was an individual that died in the 50s in the Utah State Prison that uh, some people think he was the Sundance kid. His name was Hiram Beebe. I I personally don't believe that. He's buried in the Salt Lake Cemetery so they can... I know there's been some people wanting to dig his grave up and do DNA testing. And so with Butch's uh, demise, that's one thing that Lula said she knew where he was buried, but she would never say where he was buried because she was concerned that people would dig his grave up. And in the early 1970s, the Price Utah Cemetery was being expanded as it was growing, and they used to bury the outlaws outside of the cemetery boundaries. And as that cemetery boundary grew, then they were encompassed within the cemetery and they dug up those graves to reinter them. And they had pictures in the newspaper of them holding, you know, the skulls and different things. and and Lua saw that and it really bothered her that she thought that was a great disrespect to the dead Mm -hmm. and, she was determined not to uh, reveal where he was buried. So, and, and she didn't want people to put a big monument and uh, idolize him because of the life that he had led. But, uh, and that's one thing like with the grandkids and that she always reminded us that she loved her brother. He was her brother, but he did choose a different path and he was an outlaw. Yep. He broke the law and, and he broke his mother's heart, you know, his, Mother was quite disturbed by that. She, she remembered her mother, walking the fields of their ranch, crying over her wayward son. Mm-hmm. She actually had two, two different sons that uh, chose that path. Uh, the next youngest one after Butch was, was also involved. He wasn't, he got captured, quite early, so he wasn't as well known. But, um, you know, it was pretty upsetting to the family that they chose those paths. So anyway.
2: I think there is a a woman named Grace, who says she had uh, who said she went up through the Sundance Kid's side, through his father's side, and did find DNA. Do you know yeah. anything about that story?
0: Yeah, Marilyn Grace. Yeah, she's uh, a little bit different.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Um. So, so they they exhumed a grave over in uh, Duchesne, Utah, and and they some people think that was a Sundance Kid. His name was Henry Long. And I've you know I've read the stories. I I know Jerry Nickel who is related to this Henry Long, and I I just don't buy that though, that that individual was Harry Longabaugh. The Longabaugh family doesn't recognize him as a as a relative. I think maybe Henry Long was involved in with the Wild Bunch, but I don't personally don't think he was Harry Longabaugh. And so. Marilyn is also. She's also working on trying to dig up Butch's remains down near Circleville, and so far hasn't succeeded in that. But she would really like me to be involved, and I
2: don't
0: want—I don't want any part of digging up Butch's grave.
2: So. Yeah, kind of honor honor your family. I don't think they wanted it either. Exactly. Here's a big question. Butch was very successful, and. Uh, they had taken in a lot of money, and I know he gave shares to all the people who were involved in the jobs. But he had to have accumulated a lot of money. Uh, he probably didn't trust banks. So whatever happened to that? Are there any treasury? Are there any treasure legends out there that people have been chasing down?
0: Well, yeah, of course there is. There's, uh, you know, there's stories that there's buried gold, you know, that are still out there that people are trying to chase. None of that's ever been found. I don't know that he left a lot behind. I, I think when he had it, he, he spent it pretty freely. I know when they were had determined to go to South America, that they really started to build a nest egg to, to have a ranch down there and to start over. And so I think a lot of that, they did actually, uh, make a deposit in a bank in Buenos Aires, you know, and they, instead of making withdrawals all the time, they actually put money in the bank there so that they could, uh, established the ranch in uh in Patagonia. So I you know, when he after his very first bank robbery in Telluride, he went up into Wyoming and they he had a horse ranch up there and you know, the newspaper accounts talked about him gambling pretty freely, that he had seemed to have a lot of money and I'm I'm sure he just kinda, you know, yeah. went through it. <laughs> <laughs> and so when the funds got low then they went and planned another robbery. So
2: and last question I have for you is at a place. Tell me what you believe uh, happened to her based on everything you've come across in your last 20 years of research.
0: Well, yeah, I wish I had the uh, key to where, what happened. To and there's many theories out there, but I, I personally don't really know. I think she went, you know, she came back to uh, San Francisco and there was rumors that she went to the Denver area. I think she just lived out her days, uh, changed her name and uh, possible she had a child and raised that child and, and just lived out her days. I don't, uh, and tried to distance herself from her past and, but I don't really know. I don't, no one really knows what happened to her.
2: I, I think I like the theory of Madeline Wilson, who worked at Fanny's Bordello in terms of being the, the possible match, but it, she sure right. did leave a mystery behind her.
0: So what happened to this individual from Fanny Porters?
2: She- um, Madeline Wilson was would have been approximately um, born around 1878, which would have put her at uh, 22 years old when she went to New York City, the, I think it was the first time, with Sundance. Right. And they took that picture at uh, Young's, and stopped at Tiffany's and she gave her that diamond stick pin, right. the whole deal. And what was interesting there is uh, when they left, at one point, they probably took a wagon uh, north from New York City up to Buffalo, and stopped at uh, Doctor Pierce's Invalid Hotel and Surgical Center. Was what right. he called it was like a six-story, right. <laughs> very lavishly decorated building. And Doctor Pierce had made his millions, literally, on um, selling little pills um, that were right. You know,
0: there's still old barns in the West that have Dr. Pierce's uh, advertisement on the side of them. <laughs>
2: so he
0: was he was quite prominent uh, during that you know during his time. So
2: yeah, he was he was a big deal, and in that surgery center, he had 17 surgeons working for him. And because uh, wow. abortions were, I don't even know if the word was being used back in those days, uh, but those 17 surgeons were experts in in, in female parts. And one of those parts that they claimed to heal problems with was the uterus. So I'm sure if there were any uh, live fetuses anywhere near that uterus, uh, that was a problem to be solved back in those days. And those guys probably did it for the, for the right amount of money. So right. it, it could have been, and they also, they also tried to cure venereal diseases of all types, the whole deal. But basically they just right. called it um, women's weaknesses. Right. Well, I'm going to honor your time. I think you've been very, very generous with me. Is there anything more you'd like to share that maybe we didn't cover?
0: Well, um, yeah, there's lots of things in my book. <laughs> well, give I me mean, uh,
2: put a few teasers out there, and uh, we'll get some people to buy your book.
0: So it's uh, it's called Butch Casting, my uncle. Uh, the author I'm Bill Bettinson. It's uh, available on Amazon. They it's so it's in hardcover and, or, uh, in hard, you know, paper and also an electronic version. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's done well. I think people really like it. I tried to document all my research. It's been a lot of fun. And I, you know, I still enjoy going around and speaking and, and talking and finding new information and, uh, you know, I'll keep updating it. I'm actually working on another one that's really focused on his life in Wyoming. Hmm. And uh, hope to have that out pretty soon. So
2: that sounds interesting. Uh, you were just invited uh, uh, to a, a big um, a gathering. Was it in Idaho just last weekend?
0: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We had a pretty good turnout. It was so. It was a there's an organization called the Wild West History Association, and they have a national convention in the summer, but they do little mini roundups they call them during the winter time and that's this was up in a little town outside of boise called murphy idaho that uh is that i believe the county seat for oahe county and uh they had a number of speakers and a good turnout it was a lot of fun
2: congratulations right. on you for going down and seeing that ranch uh what was that ranch like down in argentina
0: uh, it was kind of a dream come true i mean it it's uh very reminiscent of home for him circleville i mean the climate down there is very similar um he had poplar trees which he he helped his mother plant on his uh, home ranch in circleville and really had a feel of home you know it was uh, it's a beautiful area it's at the base of the andes there's you know spring fred uh pricks and uh, you know i was able to catch rainbow trout just 100 yards from his cabin and <laughs> it was beautiful
2: yeah it sounds nice well bill thank you so much i appreciate it It was great uh being able to meet you for this interview um on the phone and i wish you the very best with your next book as it comes out and we'll be looking for it
0: all right i appreciate it appreciate your time
2: thank you for being a guest Bye-bye. thank you
0: bye